All right, if you would um, again stand with me, we're going to jump in to our time in Philippians. And we're going to be uh, looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. We included part of 18 uh, last week. We're going to start again with the last part of 18. And this is what the Word of God says to us today. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You may have a seat. Uh, just a couple quick announcements. Um, I skipped over those and I probably should go back. But if you're visiting with us, we would love to know that you were here. And you can do that by filling out the Connect card, which is in the pocket right in front of you. You can drop it off in our offering box or at our information table. We'd be glad to answer any questions that you might have. We'd also be glad to uh, um, be praying for you. If you have prayer requests, we do pray for those. So please indicate those as well. There's a weekly that you got on your way in. I invite you to make sure that you look at that weekly because it has uh, what's going on in the church and some things that you might be interested in being a part of. I don't think that Ultimate Frisbee is tomorrow. Is that right? Is it canceled tomorrow? Yeah, it's canceled tomorrow, but we'll be back on after uh, uh, the following Monday. Um, The Prince of Peace Church, uh, we meet in their building, and they came to me this morning and asked that I uh, give an announcement about something That is called Social Club. It's for chronically mentally ill people. And they're going to have a volunteer appreciation lunch and a training uh, next Sunday at 12 o'clock noon. And so if you're interested in volunteering for them, I have some information for you. And I'll put that at the information table on your way out. You can pick that up. All right. Philippians, the insurgency of joy. I hope that your summer is full of joy. Um, We've talked about a little bit of the differences between joy and happiness, and we'll talk again about some of those today. But I have a question to get started with. Have you ever had the perfect time management system? Feel free to raise your hand if you have the perfect time management system. Anybody? Because I need it. Anybody? Nobody? Okay. Well, um, I'm a kind of guy who uh, honestly is constantly pursuing the nirvana of time management systems. And I can never seem to find it. Uh, One of the jobs that I had, like right out of college, was working for a time management consulting company. That's how weird I was, okay? A little bit OCD on the time management stuff. And basically what we did as a time management consulting company is we sold hope to people that they could master their life by mastering their calendar. So basically I was helping people enter into idolatry. Um... (laughs) I repent. Now, one of the keys in the system that we taught uh, was making sure that you got your priorities straight. Like if you go to any time management seminar, they're going to tell you there's too much to accomplish, so you have to prioritize. 
And then you have to work your goals towards your priorities. And I'm all for time management, but no matter how much I taught these particular classes or courses or the system that we were selling, um, no matter how well I did at that, I never arrived at a place where I could understand my priorities perfectly and get my time management centered around those. No matter how great I was with, with listing my priorities, I always came up short. Um, there was always another task. Uh, there was always another thing to do. And I could never decide, because they would teach this, what is urgent, what is important, and what is a nice thing to do. Like, I got so frustrated with that paradigm of urgent, important, and it would be nice to do, that one of my urgent tasks was to get the person who told me to find the urgent, because everything was urgent. That was my urgent, most urgent task. Everything became urgent in my life. Now, when you're facing death, like Paul in this particular letter, he's in prison in Rome, getting ready to be beheaded, because he taught people and preached uh, to people about Jesus and the gospel. When you're facing death, your priorities get straightened up. Now, who's got a little bit of a cynical streak? I'm going to raise my hand. Um, borderline nihilist, okay? No, now everyone's hand went down, okay. Borderline those dark people who look at life and are very cynical about what's going to happen in life. Sometimes I can get this way, but there is a book, okay, in the Bible that was written specifically, I believe, for those types of people. And it's the book of Ecclesiastes. And the theme of that entire book is that when you're facing death, your priorities get straightened up. That's why the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says that you should live every day like it was your last day for the glory of God. And this is kind of the cynical part because we're all going to die. Okay? The death rate is one per person. Come on, it's better than that. Um, I've said that before. That's why no one's laughing. I, my jokes are getting old like me. Um, now, if that's true, and we have to get our priorities straight, and everyone is headed to a place where they're going to physically be done, their bodies are going to give out, and they're going to go meet God face to face, and God is going to either take them into heaven because they knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, or they'll be separated from God forever because they did not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we are headed to that place, no matter how old we are, whether we're 80 or 8, how should we live? What should be your priorities? The title of what we're going to be looking at today is that Jesus, making Jesus your priority equals maximum joy. Paul gives us some great insight into his priorities at the end of his life. And he wants to do that so that we'll understand what maximum joy looks like on this planet and in the life to come. Now, before we get into that, I do have to discuss again the difference between joy and happiness. Now, happiness gets a bad rap. I've actually given it a bad rap from time to time, but there's nothing wrong with happiness Unless it is your idolatry. Uh, it becomes your idolatry when you pursue that 
at all costs. You want to be, quote unquote, happy. You need to be happy, however, at your child's birthday. That's important, right? You need to be happy when you go on a date with your spouse. You need to be happy on Christmas morning when you open gifts. There's times where the circumstances of life lead to an emotional and even heartfelt happiness. And this is why it's different than joy. Happiness comes from circumstances. Happiness comes from circumstances. The word happenstance is actually where we get the word happiness from. So your circumstances are great and it leads to an emotional, a heartfelt feeling of of happiness. And there again is nothing wrong with that. Things happen in our life that gives uh, gives gives us, excuse me, brief happiness. Now that is not bad as long as it does not become your drug of idolatry where you're constantly looking for the next happenstance, the next circumstance to give you that feeling. Now joy is different. Joy is a bit deeper than what happiness is. It is the root word, uh, the Greek word for joy is the root word in the word character. Okay? So joy it is a, a fabric that is soaked with, with this, this inexpressible uh, uh, place of joy regardless of your circumstance. It springs from something else instead of manufacturing it for ourselves. So for the Christian, and this is what's really important, your joy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, because no matter what circumstance happens in your life, you can always look to the cross, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again, who has created you, you have sinned against, He has still saved you, and is restoring you back to Himself. That, my friends, is joy. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul, in this passage, talks a little bit about the joyful life, even in dark circumstances as he faces death. And he gives us, I believe, three teachings. First is this. A joyful life is a prayerful, spirit-filled life. Verse 19 of this passage begins with 18b. I'll I'll start with the last half of 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul has just said in this verse that he rejoices even if those who preach the gospel for selfish gain bear fruit because Jesus is being preached. And then he says, I am joyful for basically two reasons. First, he knows that others are praying for him. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, it's kind of weird that people are praying for me. And I don't know why anyone would do that. And I don't feel anything extra special from people praying for me. And I think you might feel that because you don't understand the context in which Paul is saying, I get joy because I'm prayerful, but I know that I am being prayed for. This is why he gets joy. He, he's joyful because of the praying, because he and the people praying for him believe in a supreme and sovereign God. See, a God who is perfect, the three omnis, omniscient, omnipotent, everywhere all at once. God is everywhere all at once. He knows all things, and He is all-powerful, okay? 
He is also sovereign, meaning that everything that is happening to to you as a follower of Christ is happening because He loves you and wants what is good for you. So He is joyful because He has a belief in a supreme and sovereign God. I was watching a uh, video actually just just recently this week, and it was a debate between a a scientist who claims to know Christ and has a Christian worldview and a scientist who claims to be a secularist, an atheist, and has no Christian worldview. It's a naturalistic worldview. And it was really funny because after the debate, the, the Christian scientist walks up to the atheistic scientist and he says, hey, can I pray for you? And the response of the atheist is classic. Yeah, knock yourself out. Like, I don't care. I don't believe in that stuff. That stuff is like, uh, you know, some sort of weird mysticism if it makes you feel good. And I think a lot of people who don't know the Lord of the universe, the God who created everything, a lot of those people think that it's just praying is just kind of a, a therapeutic thing that people do to make themselves feel better. Paul is saying joy comes in knowing I'm being prayed for because I know who you're praying to. He is real. He exists. And he has my benefit and my good at at heart. So that's the first thing. And then he says, the spirit of Jesus Christ, okay, the spirit of Jesus Christ will turn this out for my deliverance. The spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, Paul knows and teaches this in other passages, indwells, empowers, and directs him. So there is prayer going on, belief, okay, an expression of belief in a supreme being who is helping him out. And then the spirit of Jesus Christ who is living in him, who is empowering him and is uh, directing him. So with those two things, prayer and being spirit-filled, Paul has hope, he says, for deliverance. Now, this is what's interesting because Americans would read that and say, if I have a prayer being done for me and I am filled by the Spirit, I will be delivered. Meaning, whatever the bad circumstance is, God is going to give me a great circumstance as I define a great circumstance. Paul is not talking about that kind of a deliverance. Paul is talking about a deliverance that is all-encompassing, that even if the negative thing happens to him, the bad thing happens to him, like getting your head cut off, okay, that God is somehow delivering him in a way that is profound, that is beyond human capacity and human power to do. So Paul is praying for deliverance. His hope and joy is is not based on what we call deliverance, But his hope and joy is in a God who knows him, who loves him, and directs all things for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28. Do you have that on your fridge? Okay. I'm not a big fridge verse guy because a lot of times we take those out of context. But 8.28 of Romans, you can't take that dude out of context. Put it on the fridge. Okay. New City says that one's okay. Uh, God loves you. And he has called you to a purpose. So Romans 8.28 says, Those who love and are called according to his purpose, which by the way, his purpose is a joyful life. Okay. Now for Paul, it wasn't happiness all the time, right? His circumstances didn't lend itself to happiness. 
His circumstances were overall pretty negative. Bitten by snakes, beat up, put in prison, and now facing, you know, the however they beheaded, they probably used swords in that day. He was facing some difficult things, but he was joyful in spite of those things because he was called by God, he loved God, and was called according to his purpose. That's going to be very important as we work our way through the rest of this passage. Paul facing dark times and death, he still has joy rooted in trust and sovereign king and comfort, counsel, and direction from the same sovereign king through the power of the Holy Spirit. So a joyful life is a prayerful, spirit-filled life. It is also, secondly, uh, a courageous life. Verse 20 through 24. Let me read those uh, five verses. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. A joyful life is a a courageous life, okay? Paul says early in that little passage that I just read, that he doesn't want to be ashamed. That word... Or that concept is uh, replete throughout the New Testament of us as followers of Christ not being ashamed of Jesus. Paul is facing death and he does not want to give up hope. He does not want to shame Christ and he doesn't want to shame other believers. Now this is the part in the movie, you've seen it, maybe Braveheart or another movie where the very courageous person um, bravely dies for a cause. I think for Christians, it's a little bit different because many times the cause, unless it's the gospel, unless it's Christ, um, people are manufacturing within themselves the courage to die for what they believe in. With a follower of Christ, when you are put to the test, persecuted, maybe even killed for your faith, Paul says, and he admits to, there's a weakness there. I don't want to shame Christ. I don't want to shame other believers. And in that is a request. God, give me your courage to face what I've got to face. Paul has a courage because he trusts the one who saved him from a worse punishment than death. See, you can be courageous no matter what circumstance... You can actually be courageous to go up to that person that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior and you've been praying for them and thinking about them and probably the Spirit of God has said to you several times, hey, you need to go talk to this person about me. You need to talk to this person about me. And your response might be like many of us, God, I don't know if I really want to do that because I'm kind of outing myself as a follower of Christ. And in this particular culture that I live in or in the office or in the neighborhood or the friends that I run with, um, being a follower of Christ is not something that is applauded. But Paul says, I don't need to be ashamed. I can have courage because the one who saved me 
is worthy of my trust and he has saved me from a punishment worse than death. This is what comes to his mind. And he says, I have an eager expectation and hope. Paul can't wait to see how God is going to work in this situation. If you, if you have the time, sometime, this is actually a phenomenal uh, way to pass the time. Instead of cursing at the people running the red light in traffic, okay? Do this instead, okay? Go to www.desiringgod.org. Okay, and look up biographies and you can download biographies of believers who have throughout Christian history, some of them been persecuted, maybe even killed for their faith. And there is in all of those biographies, a common denominator in dire circumstances, these men or these women, these people had a hope and a trust in God that was so deep, they could not wait to see how God was going to work in a terrible situation. One of my favorites is the biography of George Mueller. Okay, I don't mean any disrespect to George. He's dead. Um, But George was what we would probably call a little bit of a geek, okay? Kind of socially awkward, Weird, kind of maybe eccentric is a better word than even geek. This man, through prayer and following the Spirit, built orphanages that I think the, the thou, in the thousands of orphans were ministered to and had a place to live in a place where orphans weren't very well cared for. He traveled the world proclaiming Christ. He taught people day after day after day the Bible and wanted them to know the joy of following Jesus. And he never, excuse me, he never asked for any donations. He prayed and believed. Uh, By the way, please give to our offering on your way out. (laughs) That was really bad, sorry. Um, I, I think of that. Because that is the kind of hope and joy you can have in Christ. You can be anticipating, anxious to see how God is going to work in some dire situations. When you are following the purpose of God for your life. Because the outcome has already been determined. Can I tell you what the outcome is? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Now, when facing a trial, are you anxiously awaiting to see what God is going to do? Or are you just anxious? Right now, whatever it is that you're facing, first, first, think of these questions. If you're anxious versus anxiously awaiting to see what God is going to do. Number one, where are your priorities? Maybe a better question, have you honed in on a detailed understanding of what God's purpose for you and for all followers of Jesus Christ is? This is what it is. It's two things. It's the glory of God, okay, making God look great and glorious because of how he has changed you and loved you and saved you. Number one. And number two, going and making disciples. 
And so when we bring up families with little children and, you know, we say, go make disciples and they think, man, I don't know. Let me tell you something. That little kid in your arms, that little boy, that little girl, that's your disciple. God says to glorify him in everything that you do. And he says to go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. Where are your priorities? What is your purpose? Secondly, who are you trusting in the long term? Okay, when you look out to the end of your life, and here it is, the new city old joke that I always say, maybe 70 years, 80 if you do push-ups. Josh Jacks, he's going to 90, 95. Uh, Whatever it is, as you look out that expanse to the end of your life, and maybe you should do this from, a time, uh, from time to time. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. It helps you understand and focus in on that. Who are you trusting in the long term? Because your 70 years compared to eternity, you might be able to live a really sweet and great life based on your own strength for that 70, 80, 90 plus years, okay? But for eternity, for eternity, who are you trusting in? Now, that leads to the third question. Who are you trusting? Therefore, once you get the long-term question figured out, who are you trusting in the short term based on the long term? I'll give you a hint. And it's the same Sunday school answer. Jesus. Okay? If, if you ever don't know the answer, just say Jesus. Trusting in the long term? Jesus. Who are you trusting, therefore, in the short term? Jesus. Paul's priorities, which was the work of the gospel, led him to this point. And God has given us his priority, which is the gospel. And we can anxiously await because we know the outcome. Jesus wins. Paul puts it this way. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Famous phrase, famous uh, sentence in scripture that Paul writes. This is a man who had his priority straight. His purpose was dialed in. I'm here to give glory to God and to go and make disciples for his glory. And to God working through me, see his kingdom grow. People coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. People being ministered to by followers of Christ who have a heart change and aren't doing good things and good works for their own selfish motives, but they're doing it to make God look famous. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live for Paul, he says, is fruitfulness in the labor for Jesus. Fruitfulness in the labor for Jesus. One of the greatest joys of of following Christ in my life has been seeing God take my family and a couple of other people and through the work of those people, through the work of people wanting to love and follow and serve Jesus and proclaim His word until Jesus comes back, to proclaim His victory until Jesus comes back, And to see that little seed grow into what we now call New City Church. There is a fruitfulness in the labor for Jesus. Now, some of you aren't going to plant a church. By the way, if you want to plant a church, make sure. 
okay? It's kind of hard. And it's, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, one of those things, the grit, what is the mill? Like you get milled. I don't know what the proper vernacular for that is, but it feels tough sometimes. But if you're called to it, come and let us know because we'd love to support and help you in that endeavor if God has called you to that. But sometimes your fruitfulness doesn't look like planting a church. Sometimes your fruitfulness is taking that Jesus storybook Bible, opening it up to your child every day or as many days as you can, and reading to them the beautiful account of the good news of Jesus Christ. Most people that are fruitful in the labor of the kingdom of God will never stand on a stage. They will never be known by many people. But they will be faithful and they will be uh, loving and serving of others to the place that to live is all about fruitfulness for Jesus. Then he says to die is gain. To die is to be with Christ forever. See, this is one of those quote unquote gambles that you can't mess up on. It's not a gamble. If you're a follower of Christ to live is Christ, fruitfulness and labor. To die, that's gain. I'm with God, perfected forever at the banquet table. I envision like turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy for eternity with perfect cranberry sauce. Sometimes canned in a, in a pinch. Okay, I digress. Do you, do you live that way? I got to be honest, there's many days because of the busyness of our culture, because of the priorities getting out of whack in my life, when I am living and I'm living for something other than Christ, it just feels like all death. When followers of Christ wake up, they can wake up with the knowledge that to live is Christ, fruitfulness in his labor, and to die is gain. Let me talk a little bit more about to live... um, to live as Christ. Paul, I think, wants us to know this because he says, I'm going to stay here because I want to serve other people. And that's the third teaching of this passage. Verse 25 and 26, a joyful life is an other-centered life. Let me read this uh, two verses and we'll close. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause To glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. A joyful life is an other-centered life. When you look around at your church, if this is your church, and as you look around and you you want to stay, you you want to be a part of this community, most importantly, you want to build up this body so that others will receive their maximum joy. Like, do you come to church, whether it's a Sunday gathering or a city group or other things that we do, when you come into that community of people, is that what is on your mind? I want to serve others so that they will have their maximum joy. We know that that's in Christ. So that's looking at your church. When you look at your community, your neighborhood, the city, do you want to stay and proclaim Jesus until he comes? Knowing that He alone can rescue and restore the human heart? Do you have that sense of, I want to stay here and serve others by either 
using my gifts within the church to build up this body for the maximum joy of the people here. Or I want to go into my, and I should say, I want to go into my community and stay here to proclaim Jesus until he comes because I know he alone can rescue and restore the human heart. Every person that breaks your heart because of the way that their life is going, that you see them crumbling in despair and destruction, the answer is Jesus. Or do you want to go? Do you want to go? Many times, i got to be honest, I am at the place where I want to go see Jesus. Have you had that prayer? Particularly in rush hour traffic. Jesus, just take me now. I'll put my car in park, okay, so there's no danger. I just want to go right now. Maybe it's something deeper than, hopefully, than rush hour traffic. Maybe you're facing something that is beyond your scope of how to understand it. And you are so into your thing. You become so absorbed with what is going on in your life that you're not willing, you're not even able, you don't want to engage with your church or with your community. This is the call to you. Re-engage God's priorities for your life so that you will receive maximum joy. Here's what I would say are the applications of what it means to re-engage with God's priorities. He uses this word, continue. Continue with others. Continue with others. Do you know other followers of Christ and are you known by them so that no matter what happens in their life, you will continue with them down the road of wherever they're headed In love and in the truth of God's word and God's spirit, you will continue with them. I would say you're missing out on the Christian life as it is on this planet if you're not in that struggle in continuing the struggle with others. Secondly, Paul says that we're here to help the progress of others. Help the progress. Similar to continue... I would call this discipleship. I would call this using your gifts for the building up of the body. If you've never served in this church or any church, it's time to just get involved in serving. And maybe it's not exactly where God, you think, wants you to be, but it's exactly where your church needs to be. And in that serving, you're helping the progress of others. Biblically discipling people, helping them understand God's word and how it applies to every single situation in their life. You can also re-engage God's priorities for your life for maximum joy by leading people to joy in Jesus. I'll say it again and I'll say it a thousand times, maybe more until I die. Jesus is the only person who can rescue and restore Jesus is the only one who can bring joy and not just happiness. Lastly, and this is, this is uh, challenging, especially for, well, I won't say, I won't say any names. Uh, be, be joyful yourself. Be joyful yourself. Pastors, 
are some of the grumpiest people on the planet. I'm not, of course. Uh, no, I, I can get in that place, man, where my circumstances are dictating my happiness or even better, my joy. And I wrestle with it and I wrestle with it and I wrestle with it. And for me, it's a re-engaging of God's priorities. I'm here to help continue with others. I'm here to help progress, uh, help the progress of others. I'm here to lead people to joy in Jesus. And when you're joyful yourself, you're exhibiting a trust in a sovereign God and an eager expectation that no matter what happens, Jesus wins. Let's pray. Father, uh, it gives me great happiness and joy to see these little ones dedicated to you. It gives me happiness and joy that I know for the fathers and the mothers who dedicate their child today that you're walking with them, you're empowering them, you're counseling them through your Holy Spirit. We pray for them. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray, God, that the relationships would strengthen in this body and uh, other bodies of Christ so that we would not only know others, but we would be known by them and they can encourage us. They can strengthen us. They can give us an understanding of what it means to be joyful, truly joyful, because we know Christ as Lord and Savior. As we take communion today, I pray that as we receive the, the bread representing your body broken and the blood uh, represented by the wine or juice that forgives uh, a multitude of sins, that we would turn, we would change our mind about what gives us joy. It's not what we chase unless it's you. It's not what we desire unless it's you. I pray that we would grow in this truth and reality each and every day. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.